These words again from Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. For through him we, that's both the Jews and the Gentiles, uh, have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Precious words. Consider, if you will, these words that we've just read here, especially verse 22. And I'd like for us to focus on that today. Those words again, in him, in Christ... You also are being built together into a dwelling place by the Spirit. Now, can you even begin to consider the possibility of what those words portend for you personally? That the Almighty God, the Creator and the Sustainer of all that exists, actually and really wants to live within you personally. Who are you? Who am I? That God himself would want to come and live within us. Psalm 8 by the psalmist King David comes to my mind where he asks, When I look at your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set into place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Again, who are you? Who am I that God himself should want to come and live within us and not just for a while, but forever, to dwell within us forever? It's a thought that's far too high and lofty for me to comprehend, especially when I stop to consider just how wretchedly unclean I really am. And then to think that the pure and holy almighty God actually desires to dwell within me. Now some might read these words and say, but God's not saying that he will dwell within us personally, but rather that he will dwell within the body of believers, the church. And may I say that that is also true. He will and he does dwell within the body of Christ, the body of the church. But listen, dear friends, listen. God first wants to dwell personally within each member of the body of Christ. Personally and intimately within every soul of every person who has received him as Savior and Lord. And he's told us so clearly and plainly in so many, many places throughout the scripture. And I'll pick on one in particular, and I'd like for you to turn there, if you will. That's Ezekiel 36. It's one of my favorite passages. There he says, I will put my spirit into you. Listen to these words. Ezekiel 36, beginning in verse 25. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh, 
and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Now note here first that God provides the remedy for that condition of wretched uncleanliness that I spoke about a moment ago. Listen to this, verse 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Now may I ask you, do you believe, do you accept that you are filthy? As filthy as these words charge. Or perhaps the words of Revelation chapter 3 that declare that you and I are poor, wretched, miserable, naked, and blind. And if you want to know how much more wretched you are, read Romans chapter 3. So may I say on the authority of the Word of God that yes, you are. You are. And I am. We fit these words perfectly and exactly. We are filthy. And we are in dire need of being cleansed from our filthiness. And so he declares to us here, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean and I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. And then he goes on, after cleansing us, he will put a new heart and a new spirit within us. Verse 26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you and I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. A heart that I can work with. And then he puts himself into our mortal flesh. Into your mortal flesh. Into my heart. Into your heart. Into my soul. Into my mind. Into your soul. Into your mind. Verse 27, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Did you note there that he does not leave us to wonder what we're to do with God's spirit within us once he puts his spirit within us? Because along with his spirit, he will put his unction, his personal urging within us to where we will then want to do the things that he wants us to do. And His presence and His promises and His provisions are not just for a season. They will continue throughout all of time. These words from John 14, beginning in verse 16. I will ask the Father, Jesus said, I will ask the Father and He will give you another helper to be with you forever, forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. Now may I get even more emphatic for a moment and ask you, do we, do you and I believe these words? Because that's where this Christianity has to come down to. Do we really believe these words? Do you, do I really believe that God Himself is right now, right at this moment, living within us and is urging us on to do good and righteous things that we would not otherwise do? That we would not think of on our own? 
Now again, such things are so mystical, so unfathomable, that our minds often really struggle to accept them. We seem to get just so far as we're listening to these words. And then, rather than reaching on forward and actually beginning to deal with the reality of His presence within us, we just move on in our mind to some other easier concept, never fully resolving the reality of Him and His presence. Just recently I heard someone respond by saying, well, I have to tell you, I just leave most of that to the theologians. No, we are His children. We are sons of God. He wants us to know Him personally, intimately. He wants us to know this. He doesn't want us to leave it to the teachers. He wants it to be immediate and with us. And just because these things are above your and my ability to comprehend, just because we can't fathom the difficult things, it does not nullify that they are truth. It really is all very, very real. If you, if I have received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, then your heart, my heart, our souls, our minds, our bodies are now filled with His presence. Right now. Let me read those words for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16. You are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And in verses 19 and 20 of chapter 6, 1 Corinthians, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you have been bought with a price. So then glorify God in your body. Act as if, live as if, He really is there right now. Jesus bought us with a price. Oh, such a price. His own blood, His own life. We are His and He has moved in. And He has taken possession and now lives within our souls. So then, may I ask again, Where do your thoughts go when I say those words? Do these things, are these things just flying right on by your and my ability to comprehend? Perhaps we want to believe it. Yes, we want to believe it. But we barely get past hearing the words before our mind simply moves on to something more tangible, something more real to our daily life. I do confess that that happens with me so often, but I want you to know I do not want it to be that way. These words are truth. I really do believe that these words are truth. And I want you to believe them. Because God really is real and He really does live within you and me and is personally involved in everything, every detail of our life. As we read a moment ago in Ezekiel 36, if and to the degree that we are surrendered to Christ for our salvation, His Spirit is at work every moment influencing and urging us on to do good things 
the good things that He wants us to do right at the moment. Those words again. I will put my spirit within you and cause you, cause you, urge you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Think about that for a moment now. Unbeknownst to our natural minds, God's Holy Spirit is continually prodding and prompting us to do things that we would not otherwise do. Those good works those good works that we've been studying about over the past several weeks. And the more we surrender our hearts, and and by the way, if we are not surrendered, we will go according to our free will, and we may or may not do those things. But if we are surrendered, and the more that we are surrendered, the more He's able to influence and to guide us over to do those good works. But we also have to be warned and understand that all the while that he is urging us on to good works, the other side, the demonic world, is also always busily at work, influencing and provoking us on to bad works. And all we have to do is look back on yesterday. Look back on this morning to see what has taken place. And you see both of those dynamics at work. God urging us on to love and good works and the demonic world reaching in and putting in roadblocks and causing us to say wrong things and to think wrong things to do wrong things but listen though he lives in us and thanks be to God whenever we're about to get ourselves involved in some of those those things that are against his will against His holiness. His Spirit in us warns us away from it. And let me assure you, He does this every time. 1 Corinthians 10.13, I've shared it with you often. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Intertwined with that moment of where you're being provoked to say or to do something wrong, God's Holy Spirit is right there saying, but no, you don't have to do this. If you're not accustomed to listening to His voice, then you won't hear it. Remember, it's a still, small voice. The other voices are so loud. But if you're listening and you commit yourself to listening, you'll start to hear His voice. And you'll turn away. And you'll have that way of escape. May I give us another example of our difficulty with truly believing and trusting all this to be true. That God really does live within us and He influences and and guides the matters of our daily lives. There's a philosophical doctrine that we've talked about in the past. Some have chose to follow called deism. Deism. And I understand, as I understand, that their premise of belief to be, they believe that, yes, God is almighty, and yes, He did create all things, And yes, he still does sustain all things. But unlike the doctrines that we're preaching here today, the deists are said to believe that God does not involve himself much in the daily affairs of men and women. 
that it is only as we pray and as we ask Him for help that He takes notice and then gets involved with us. Now we might think that to be a strange doctrine. We might think, well, certainly I would not think that. But may I say to you that most of us actually live as if that is the kind of God we serve. That yes, we do believe in Him, but He is not most often our first thought. We don't often think of Him as being present with us in those moments because we're all caught up in them. I can recall a coach that worked at French camp some many years ago. He expressed his understanding of God's role in our daily life as being similar to that of a football coach. That just as a coach trains up the players and puts them out there onto the field to do the best that they can with what they have, what he has taught them, God also then, he believed, trains us up through his words and he puts us out there onto that field of daily life. And there we're expected to do the best we can with what we've learned. And yes, granted, that kind of thinking does have some reality to it because of the free will that I spoke about a moment ago. Because free will does often dictate our behavior. But such thinking, let me say to you, such thinking falls woefully short of God's real intention for us. And such thinking as what this coach was putting forth is very near to the doctrinal belief of the deist. I had to say that, coach. If I have to believe that while I'm out there on that field, I'm on my own, I'll be lost. I need Jesus every moment in everything that I do, every thought that I think, every behavior that I exhibit. And these words before us today, along with all the other many similar words in these scriptures, they tell us that God really does want us to recognize and to accept His immediate, His indwelling presence every moment. Even especially in those heat of the moment difficulties out there on that field that we're involved in each day. And that field can be in our work, in our families, wherever it might be. And in those times which might be many and often, when I can't necessarily feel His presence, He is still, listen, He is still just as real and just as present and just as indwelling within me. Let me say that again. Just because you don't feel His presence does not nullify the absolute truth that He is in you, indwelling within you at the moment. Now let me take that thought a step further. When I do good things, God is right there and probably pleased. But unfortunately, listen, the opposite is also true. When I do wrong things, immoral, unkind, sinful things, He is also right there with me and in me, enduring all that I do wrong. In other words, I will often require the pure and holy Lord Jesus to go with me into all sorts of circumstances and disagreements and sinful thoughts and sinful behaviors. He lives within me. So, 
He is then always present in all the matters of my life, whether my conduct be good or it be evil. So what then is my problem? What is your problem? Why do we struggle so much with simply believing and trusting that God really does live within us and wants to guide and direct all the matters of our daily life? A few days ago I heard a preacher express that there's often a very wide gap between what we profess to believe with our mouths and what we really believe and act on all through our day. A wide gap. In other words, we can say that we really believe these words that we're studying here today. But how do we, how can we make them turn into reality? How do we close that gap between what we profess and the way that we believe and act? How can we walk each moment of each day in a manner that really trusts Jesus in us and trust His guidance of every step and every thought and every behavior? May I suggest that we begin by accepting that it requires both of us. First God. First and always God. And then myself, yourself. First God and myself. Recall those verses that we read from Colossians 3 last week regarding the peace of God. There in verse 15 of Colossians 3, he said, And let the peace of God rule in your heart, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. You and I have to begin by letting God have first sway within us. And then immediately, immediately, and almost simultaneously, you and I need to take that first step of our own. Much like that which took place with the Israelites that I've shared with you often that is such a message and witness to me as they, those Israelites were getting ready to cross over the Jordan into the promised land. God gave, God took the first step. He gave them a command to get up and go across. But you'll recall, it took the foot of the Levite priest stepping into the edge of the water before the water parted. God first, and then our obedient step immediately. That's what you and I must do every moment of every day. We must quieten our minds to the rush and to the noise of, of the day. And in prayer, continual prayer, listen for God's still small voice. And then immediately, when we sense an unction from His Spirit, we should quickly and boldly step forward. No hesitation. Do it. It might not seem right at the time, but we have to do it. Some might ask, well, would that kind of behavior be just for special, out-of-the-ordinary matters of the day? It probably needs to begin there. But then it should become our every moment of every day behavior. Folks, listen. The kingdom of God truly has come to this earth. And you and I, who have trusted in Christ as our Savior, have Him within us. That kingdom of God living within us. That's what these words are telling us.
It is real. It is so very real. And my question for us today as we close, when will you, when will I commit ourselves to reaching on into that further, deeper relationship with Christ, that next step, one where we really experience, we really experience His presence every moment of every day. Folks, I want to go there. I want to go there. And I want you to go there too. Listen to these words that I'll close with from Luke chapter 17. Now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered, this is Jesus, he answered and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. In other words, you're not going to see it. Not first. We will someday when he comes in the clouds. But you see, we have a lot of life yet left to live. His, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with, uh, with observation, nor will they say, See here or see there. For indeed, listen, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. Let's pray.